Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. It was really interesting this week whenever I got to, um, got to start to look at the passage and everything. Uh, the thing that this brought to mind to me whenever we look, are going to look in the Gospel of John today uh, was those kind of habits and, let's say, superstitions that we sometimes have in our lives. You know, those things that are a little bit unreasonable that we do sometimes, and we really believe that these things are going to affect an outcome. And this is true, as anyone watching the Final Four, you know, all the basketball, yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch, and my bracket is gone. <laughs> it's all, all the way gone. But if you look around like sports personalities, there, there are several like superstitions that they have. And I just, I, you know, for fun, I looked up some of them. Uh, for example, did anyone know Michael Jordan? I don't know if you've ever seen Michael Jordan when he was playing. He actually had shorts that were really long, and everyone started to copy him. The reason he has long shorts when he, he plays is he had the superstition that he should always wear North Carolina colors as shorts. And so under his shorts for the NBA, he would always have uh, North Carolina uh, University of North Carolina, his alma mater, uh, those shorts underneath his actually MBA shorts. Another one was uh, Serena Williams. So Serena Williams, one of the greatest tennis players, probably the greatest tennis player that's ever played the game. Um, this one's a little odd. She will not change her, her, her socks in a tournament. So she will play the whole tournament with the same socks. Whew, yeah, I got that reaction exactly right there, right? And then we've got Brian Erlacher. What a great football name. Brian played for, what was that team he played for? Oh, Chicago Bears. That's right, Chicago Bears linebacker. <laughs> the Green, oh, Green Bay fans are not, oh, yeah. Who booed? Somebody booed. Wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, so Brian Erlacher, which I think is a great football name, Erlacher. I mean, I love that. He actually would eat two chocolate chip cookies before each game, you know? <laughs> and so, um, and I must admit, I, I, I looked at those things and I thought, you know, have I ever had anything in my life like that that was kind of this unreasonable belief that I would do thinking it would affect it? An outcome, and I have to say I did. So I went to a certain other Big Ten university that I won't say, because I always get booed. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you're booing anyways, right? So I went to the Ohio State University. Uh, wow. Just rough. <laughs> that gospel engineering program is open. No, so... The, uh, so I went there, and I took so many tests, so I went to graduate school and things like that, and every time before I would go to a final, and I remember this, I would go, and I would sing, not say, I would sing the Lord Prayer song. Do you remember the song, like, back in the 80s? That <laughs> and so I would sing that every single time, and, uh, you know, just as something that I would do, you know. And sometimes we have these beliefs, and some of them are good beliefs, and some of them are just kind of odd beliefs. And we're going to see that Jesus actually interacted with someone that kind of had a little different belief uh, when he came across them. And we're in this series 
that's called uh, the impossible, what the miracles of Jesus mean for us. It's based on a Bible study series by uh, Jenny Allen. And in this series, what we're doing, we're actually looking at the miracles of Jesus. And the thing that I really like is one, that's kind of our DNA of the vineyard. You know, one of the distinctives, the things that kind of sets us, you know, maybe a little different emphasis for some other denominations or other churches is that we really believe that Jesus still does the stuff today. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the history of John Wimber, one of the things that that drove him into looking at the ministry that the Holy Spirit would have is just having that question, where's the stuff that Jesus did? And so that's kind of just part of us as a vineyard church. You know, we still believe that Jesus wants to bring his kingdom here today and do miraculous things. And what's neat about this series, as we look at these impossible things, is that there's kind of this this shiny miracle out there, but sometimes we, we forget to look around the miracle right? What was going on around the miracle? And we, we just focus on kind of that shiny thing. That's what I like about this series, is it not only talks about the impossible things that, that God does, but it also looks around, you know, what is this wonderful miracle that happens, but what else can we learn around it? And so in doing that, we're actually going to look at John, the, the uh, book of John. It's in the New Testament, Um, And it's the Gospel of John, and we're looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and we're going to look at uh, verses 2 through 13 to set it up. But let me um, just kind of set up the timeline and a little bit of geography here that will help us understand this passage a little better. And that is, I always like to think about, okay, we have the ministry of Jesus Um, at this time. He had been baptized he was preaching to individuals, so he had, he had actually shared with Nicodemus, you must be born again. You might remember that passage, so that had happened. He had actually met with the Samaritan woman and, and spoke a word of knowledge into her life, and, and the gospel exploded uh, in that region, in Samaria. And then also he had followers. He was starting to bring the followers, the disciples uh, to follow him. And he had just begun speaking publicly. Uh, first, he went to uh, Nazareth, which was his own town. And in that scene, he opens up the book of Isaiah and he says, This is me, right? This day is being fulfilled today. And he had a couple miracles that he had performed the, the water and the wine, and he healed the son of an official. And now at this time, so he's just beginning his ministry, and now at this time, he's back in Jerusalem. The, the metropolitan, the, the, the city of the Jewish people that was really where they did a lot of their life uh, through what God had given them. And of course, the Jewish temple was there. So if we look at the geography, we're in Jerusalem for this scene, and Jerusalem was surrounded by walls of the city, and then if you look on the east end of of Jerusalem, you would see that that's where the temple was. The temple was the place where there there was the uh, temple that was called Herod's Temple at that time. It had been rebuilt by 
Herod, and it was this magnificent structure where the Jewish people did their practices, and with uh, the priests were there, and they would do the sacrifices, and they would um, uh, do all of those things in that region. And they also that 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 temple area was surrounded by by walls too. And there there were gates, and so these entrances into these walls. And one of those gates was called the Sheep Gate. Now, the Sheep Gate, if you look at, okay, so we've got, let's say, you got to do it your way. Okay, I should have, I don't know why I didn't have something up there. But anyway, so we'll draw in the air. Is that all right? Okay, so we got, we got Jerusalem. Over here, we've got the temple. And then there are these gates that are coming in. And from the north side of kind of that temple region, we have what's called the Sheep Gate. Now, the Sheep Gate is this area where they would bring the sheep in for sacrifice uh, during that time. And there were believed to be holding pens there. And right off of the sheep gate was also um, a, a pools that were there. And they've actually discovered this pool, and the, the pool is called Bethesda. And Bethesda means the house of mercy. And so there was a pool that was... Uh, kind of fed by some of the cisterns there that, that would be the water supply to Jerusalem. They were fed there, and this pool was a place that people would go to seek healing. And the belief at that time of Jesus, and we'll find this in the story, is that there was this bubbling that would happen in the water. And so people believed this happened every day, and that if you could be the first one in the water, you would be healed. And that was the belief system that they had around that. They believed that this might be stirred by angels. There were a lot of uh, writings at that time by the Essenes and some other groups that looked at these writings about angels. And so they believed that it would get stirred up. If you could get in the water first, then you would be healed. So they had this belief system Reasonable or unreasonable, it's something that was a little different. And so that's where we look at the story. So let's go there. Um, you can turn your Bible or your app, or you can look on the screen here. And let me just read uh, John chapter 5, verses 2 through 13. It says this, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aromatic called Bethesda, which has five roof, roofed colonnades. So these are basically porches, you could think of that, um, with columns. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew, knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know 
who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. So we see here this, this scene, you know, we've got someone that had uh, disability in his life for 38 years. So he had been disabled for a long time. He had this hope that, you know, as the saying went or the belief system was at that time, if he could just get into this water and be the first in, he could be healed. But there are all these people that would beat him to the punch. And then Jesus steps in to the scene and says, take up your mat and walk. And then there are the Jewish leaders around the time that says, hey, hey, wait a minute. What are you doing walking? You know, you shouldn't be walking. This is the Sabbath. And also, whoever healed you shouldn't be healing. It's the Sabbath. But Jesus broke through of all of that. Now, this is a miraculous story, but but let's take a look at some of the things around this story. And I want, I want to look at just three things that we're going to look at around this story today as we look at this miraculous event that Jesus did in healing this one. The, the, the first thing that I want us to notice is that Jesus' plan is greater than our beliefs and customs. You know, Jesus' plan is greater than our beliefs and customs. And let me just express what I mean about it. First, I want to start off, you know, it's easy to look at the Sabbath and say Sabbath is a bad thing. No, Sabbath is a great thing. Sabbath is meant for us, a day of rest that God commanded us to take. And it's funny, if you read accounts, I don't know if anyone follows Tim Mackey. He did the Bible Project. He lived in Jerusalem for a time. And During that time, he said, you know, the thing I learned about the Sabbath is just how much it just shuts everything down in the city. So the the, the people that look at the Sabbath, they prepare the day before, and they prepare to have their meal on the Sabbath day, and in that preparation, they're expecting God to provide for them. And then whether you're rich or poor, No matter what your circumstances, you are enjoying in different homes this Sabbath meal together. So it's really made for us, not something that could constrain or that should be a burden to us. But we have the Jewish leaders that we see there in verse 10. And, you know, this is similar to our responses in so many things. We want to come up with all of these rules around something good that God has done. And the Jewish leaders said, hey, what are you doing during the Sabbath? You know, you're walking with a mat. Okay, that's work. And, and, and someone's healing. That's awful during the Sabbath. You know, it, it was funny. If you look at the, the customs that had kind of come out of that time, uh, to obey the rule of no working, they had actually come up with 39 rules that are considered work. And that's why they said, don't walk. They actually had a length that you could walk. And the reason that they would consider walking or pushing something on the ground as work is that you could be leveling the ground or you could be making a trough like you're plowing. And so they said, okay, we want to make sure we don't work. So they'd set up these rules. Another one that is the reason you couldn't pick up certain items of a weight is because If it was too heavy, it's considered a burden, and you're not to be working or carrying a burden on the Sabbath. 
And so they had all these extra rules that they tried to obey and put upon people so that they could not enjoy the Sabbath. But isn't it neat to see that Jesus just kind of blows by these plans and customs and beliefs to intervene, you know, no matter what. And, you know, this has happened in my life, and probably one of the most, I would say one of the most miraculous things in healing in my life that's ever happened, uh, and, and Jeanette will attest to this, is I had a shoulder problem, um, so I'm not to give you too much, well, I'm going to give you too much detail, okay? So, <laughs> so you know, I had a shoulder, because I'm an I'm a overarm sleeper, I don't know if we have overarm sleepers there, but my shoulder just started to really hurt. I mean, just really hurt. And so I had gone to this um, uh, one uh, this conference, and I was I was enjoying the conference. And some of the speakers I liked, some of them I didn't like. Um, I was kind of there for the worship, you know. <laughs> and so I was enjoying it. And I remember one of the speakers said, "Someone's got um, someone's got shoulder pain." If you want healed right now, raise your hand. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I raised my hand. I was instantly healed. It has not hurt ever since then. Okay, now, this is not the way Greg would do this. (laughs) Okay, one, uh, the person speaking, who will remain nameless, I don't even like their theology, okay? (laughs) I mean, I was like, really, Jesus, you healed me with that person? I mean, this is not someone I really, you know, I like them as a person and stuff, but I was reading some of their stuff, and I was like, oh, man, I just don't agree with this stuff, you know, and and things like that. But you know what? That's who Jesus healed me with, you know? And I think part of that's just to go, you know, it's not this guy. It's Jesus healing me, you know? It really is. It really is. You know, Jesus decided to heal me in spite of my beliefs that I had. Isn't that neat how he just kind of blew through that? And this is also particularly true in how Jesus chooses to love. I mean, just think of how many things he blew through to love people. He gathered tax collectors, dined with them. He went up to the Roman soldiers who were the oppressors of the time, and he healed their children. He went up and and blew by people that would have certain ideas about women at the time to say, you know, they're, they're, they're prostitutes, they're, they're women of the evening. And Jesus said, yeah, but they need some love. They need some love. He blew by all of those things because if there's one thing that Jesus is always going to blow by, that's do not say that something comes between him and loving someone else. I dare you to do that. Because he just blows by those things. He loves and shows compassion to people to draw them into himself. You know, I just, I just think of so many people that uh, we used to have this Bible study in Ohio. And we would pray for people to, uh, to accept Jesus Christ that were in our lives. And we started to have the attitude which like, well, let's pray for this person. Because... Like, this would be ridiculous if Jesus, and sure enough, he would draw these people into himself. So Jesus is going to blow by our expectations and belief to do what he wants. Let's look at another one, and that is another thing that we can kind of look at around this event, and that's a competition 
in comparison can kill the plans that Jesus has for us. Competition in comparison can kill the plans that Jesus has for us. You know, you look in verse 6, and Jesus went up to the, the man, and he said, he said, hey, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, an, uh, another one steps before me. You know, so he was comparing himself to others and saying, you know, hey, what is this? Everyone else is getting healed. You know, why is it that I don't have any help? You know? Have you ever had that? You know, sometimes it's hard when you hear someone's, let's, let's face it, it's hard sometimes you hear someone's testimony and you're still in your trial. You know, you're in that trial phase, right? And you're still there and someone else has this testimony and you're like, Lord, why not me? You know, I, I think I felt like that. Have you, have you ever heard a testimony and just said, you know, why not me, Lord? I mean, you know, you reached out to this other person or, or we see someone that's, that's blessed in relationship or physically or, or financially, and we're in a, a state where we're not, where we're struggling, where we're struggling with relationship in a family, or we're struggling with finances, wondering where things are going to come from, and we hear and we look and we see others and we start to compare. And Jesus came into that situation, you know, um, have you ever done this? Uh, you know, someone posts something, they get 110 likes, you post something, you hear crickets, you know, and you go, you know, what is it? Doesn't anyone care? You know, it's hard not to be envious sometimes. And this is a real problem, especially for teenagers. You know, in 2020, a study that was led by the University of Texas at Austin it, it found this, they did, uh, they did an experimental study looking at the impact of social media to teenagers. And the team found that teenagers that received few likes during a standardized social media interaction felt more strongly rejected and repeated more negative thoughts about themselves. In 2021, the CDC reported that three out of five teenage girls feel persistent sadness. You know, that is a problem that we have in our society. And, and have you ever had those feelings, that, that kind of why not me feeling? I think we all have. And I was kind of wondering, you know, what should, how should I encourage you to kind of break out of this? And so where did I go for my answer? I asked my wife. <laughs> I asked Jeanette, I said, I, I said, Jeanette, have you, how do you do that? You know, how do you do that? How do you break out of that time when you can feel, and you feel that it's not right, right? You feel that little bit of envy, and you're like, oh man, this doesn't feel right. But how do you break out of it? And let me just say that there's a start of breaking out of it is kind of what I call a thought breaker. You know, just something to get your thoughts out. And this is how Jeanette actually Usually I talk a lot more about you, by the way, when you're not here. I know, yeah. But you're here, so, yeah, all right. Yeah, and she's like, I can't believe you use this. <laughs> but, but this is it. I think this is great. You know, Jeanette said, you know, this is my, my thought. The thing that I take to break myself out of that is to say, this is their story. This is not my story. You know, there's an appreciation to say, this is how God is leading them through their life. This is not my story. 
I don't need to envy them because my story's going to look a little different than theirs. And she gives this example. Jeanette gave me this example. She had a friend who I've met, uh, Kimberly, who was in college with her. And Kimberly um, was from the South, and she had this uh, uh, kind of North Carolina, South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, so she had this kind of model family, you know, and uh, Jeanette, as, as some of you know, had kind of come from a, a broken family a little bit, and, uh, uh, you know, so she kind of looked at Kimberly and said, said man, I, I just really don't like this person, <laughs> right? The straight-A student went to an all-girls school in high school, you know, straight A's, you know, uh, a perfect note-taker, you know, and then Jeanette said, you know, that was until I found out what her story was. And then they became best friends. You know, whenever we hear someone else's story, realize that that's their story. You know, you can have a different story that God's going to bless. And the third thing that I'd like us to take away from this time is that God's glory can always be found in our impossibilities. God's glory can always be found through our impossibilities. If you have an impossible situation, there, you know, God's glory is sneaking around somewhere that's going to be shown. Okay, let me just say, first of all, you know, at Life Vineyard Church, we always pray and believe that Jesus will do miraculous things. That's part of who we are, that the kingdom of God is going to break through at any time, at any situation, and if you come to get prayer here, the prayer team is going to say, hey, what do you want us to pray for? And then we're going to wait and listen to see what Jesus wants to do. The most important thing that we do whenever we pray is we're putting our impossibility, this situation, one of the most important is we're, we're transferring ownership. We're saying, I do not want to own this impossible situation anymore. Jesus, I want you to own this impossible situation those things that you think of. Now, the problem is with ownership of impossible situation, I, by nature, am an engineer, and I also know Robert is probably like this with me too, is we are solvers, right? We see a situation we want to solve. You can go ahead and hit him. Okay, go ahead, and Give him a little, yeah, there you go. Okay. So we, we do, like we see a situation, and it's like I want to know what the solution is before I have the faith that God's going to do anything. But the thing about taking that impossibility and saying, Lord, this is yours. I have no idea how you're going to act or resolve this. You know, uh, we look at like Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. You know, my role is to take that impossible situation. This is your burden, Lord. Um, and I don't have to understand what the solution is going to look like. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your, your path straight. You know, I'm not always going to know what the solution looks like. But if I take the ownership of that impossible situation, I say, Lord, this has got to be yours. I cannot carry this anymore. That is where we start. And you'll find that as we pray for people up here, the, the, the next thing that we'll do is we'll kind of say, Lord, what kind of prayer should we pray? 
I mean, should we pray a prayer of petition? Should we just ask God, God, I know who you are. Be God in this situation. Should we intercede with the person? Should we fill that gap to say, this person may not be here. This person is not at the point to have this faith. I just want to stand in the gap for my brother or sister and ask that you resolve their situation. Or sometimes there's a, a command of faith in a prayer. You know, cancer cells be destroyed in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, or a pronouncement prayer, which would go something like, Lord, I know what you have done in this situation. You have healed. You'll find that we pray different ways when someone comes up because we take that impossibility, we give it to Jesus, and then we say, how do you want us to pray, Lord? How do we need to pray here? And that's what we do. And there's kind of two things, two outcomes. There's either a miraculous healing, right? Where we're relying on, on verses in John that says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. We'll, we'll work in that and we'll see miraculous things happen. And that will be a miraculous healing. But do you know what? At the end, we'll also look for direction. And if that miraculous healing doesn't happen, we're going to look for miraculous living. We're going to look at how can you live your life out and every day you wake up, Jesus is doing a miraculous work in your life to sustain you. Let me just end with this quote from Isaiah. There are several verses I could bring to you in the New Testament that express this. But let's go to the Old Testament. This is Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They were soar like wings, like eagles. Soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Father God, um, I thank you so much that I do not, you've not called me to carry impossible things of myself impossible things of others. You've asked me to give you those things and to believe you're going to do something. Lord, I thank you so much for the miraculous things that come to mind in everyone's hearts today where you've acted miraculously. And I pray that we would continue to put you in that position where your great and mighty work can be shown. And Father God, I also pray for those of us that we go through life and we need you day by day to sustain. So Father God, I just ask that you would meet us here in worship, that you would also bring to mind things that we need to bring to you that are impossible in Christ's name. Amen. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, Go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org.
oh, hey, you're still here. You're like one of my favorite people. The kind of person that like sticks around after church while everybody else has left. Like you're still one of the last ones talking. You're like the podcast version of that person. And while I have you here, uh, if you didn't know, this is Pastor Dan. Uh, while I have you here, I just want to say, hey, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come to life if you're in the central Illinois area. If you're listening to this outside of central Illinois, go find a vineyard church. Vineyard churches are amazing places. Go find one near you. And if you're not near a vineyard church, then uh, just find a church, a community of believers that you can be involved with, be in community with. I think we are our best spiritual selves when we are in community with other people who are following Jesus. That's what the church is for. So we hope to see you here. And if not here, go find a community of believers that you can get involved with this week. All right. Thanks for listening. See you later.